I want to take as a text this morning from the context of Mark chapter 15, the words of verse 21. It says, And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. This chapter of God's Word describes the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ at the hands of cruel men. In verse 15 of Mark chapter 15, the Bible records that Pilate, who was of course the governor of Judea, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Scourging was a most terrible form of punishment invented by the Romans, where someone would be tied to a whipping post, and then with a whip with leather pieces, into which were sewn pieces of bone and fragments of metal, the victim would be flagellated, until large pieces of flesh would be ripped from his back and it would become, as the scripture indicates in another place, like a veritable ploughed field. There were prisoners under the Romans who died while going through the torture of scourging. Our Lord Jesus survived that ordeal But then he was led out to be crucified. And the soldiers, it tells us, led him away. They called together a whole band of them. And they proceeded to mock the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew he had claimed to be the king of the Jews. So they thought, well, we'll treat him like a king. So they, verse 17, clothed him with purple, the royal color. And plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him hail king of the Jews in mocking adoration and they smote him on the head with a reed hammering those thorns deep into his scalp and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him of course we understand that to be in mockery and when they had mocked him they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. All that these evil men inflicted upon Christ by way of physical torment, culminated in his death on the cross. The cry of the mob was, crucify him, verse 13 and verse 14. Pilate relented to their request. And delivered Jesus to be crucified, verse 15 tells us. And after mocking him, the Roman soldiers led him out, verse 20 says, to crucify him. It would have been at that point that the Lord carried the heavy cross beam known as the patibulum, perhaps weighing a hundred pounds or so, on his shoulders. 
but struggling under the load, having lost so much blood already through their torments. The Roman soldiers laid hands, as they were wont to do, upon an innocent bystander, a diaspora Jew from Cyrene in North Africa, a man named Simon. The Bible says he was compelled. In other words, he was drafted by the soldiers into carrying the patabulum or crossbeam of the cross to the place of execution. And in these words in verse 21, we have what appears to be a mere incidental, a passing reference without any seemingly great significance. But I want you to know that it is a reference that contains most important spiritual lessons and teaching. We remember that in our Lord's earthly ministry, He made reference often to bearing the cross. Even in this Gospel, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, the Bible says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up the cross and follow me. This is really what is in view in the words of Paul when he wrote to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 13, it says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. The context is, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without or outside the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without or outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Bearing the cross. What Simon the Cyrenian did literally is a picture of what all followers of Christ must do spiritually. We must bear the cross after him. We must bear his Reproach. And as we think of Simon who literally bore the cross, we learn some spiritual lessons for our own benefit. I want you to see several things here in the example of Simon the Cyrenian. Notice the great pathway that he took to the cross. This is something that we have to Think about, as we read the verse, they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country. Simon was not, as it were, going to the cross. He was, we believe, a Jew who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. He had come a long way. And as we read the verse, we discover that the way, the road, the path that he was on was not the path to Golgotha's brow, 
but away from it. This is the direction that's indicated. He passed by coming out of the country. So he's going in the other direction. But notice his course. His course was changed by this, what looked like a chance meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. His actual literal direction was changed entirely by this encounter with the Lord. And perhaps I'm speaking to some this morning, I know I am in some cases, to those who are saved by grace, who have already met the Lord in salvation. And could I not ask you the question, was it not the same for you when you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Was the entire direction of your life not changed? Was your course, was your direction not transformed by meeting the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course it was. The whole direction The whole trajectory of your life was completely altered because one day you were quickened by the Spirit of God into life eternal. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it like this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it goes on to speak of the way that it was before you were saved. Wherein in time past... Ye walked according to the course of this world. There's the direction you were taking. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, it means, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others... We were going in the wrong direction. But then we met the Lord. And those who have an encounter with Jesus in salvation are never the same again. He changes the entire course of your life. Now, of course, the Scripture itself does not say this, but it indicates it. And if you look into The background to this, it will confirm it. Simon was a Cyrenian. Cyrene is in North Africa. And he had travelled to be in Jerusalem. Those who know about these things will tell you that Cyrene was some 800 miles away. A faraway place from which this man had travelled to get to this point. You know, sometimes our course, our path to Christ is a long one. Maybe in your case, there were many experiences that led up to that one life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus. Certainly, as we look at this portion, we can say that the Lord Jesus Christ was going out of Jerusalem. Our text shows us that he was going outside the camp of Israel. In a sense, you could say that he was turning his back upon the apostasy of Judaism. But Simon was coming out of the country. He was coming towards Jerusalem, not out of Jerusalem. 
You could put it this way, that he was going in the direction of the religion of his day. But that direction entirely changed when he met Jesus. And you'll find that when you go with Christ and you go in the direction that Christ is going, you must leave the camp of apostasy and the general religion of the day. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Separation is unto Christ. And this happened with Simon. His course was changed. His course was altered. But as we think about this pathway to the cross, we can also speak about his compulsion. And the text refers to this. And they compel one Simon. He had no choice in the matter. Simon was laid hands upon by an irresistible force, the Roman power of the day. They literally compelled him to bear Christ's cross. There he was standing, they picked him out of the crowd, and they said, you're carrying the cross beam to Golgotha. He could not refuse. Now, it's true in a different sense, that when God's own elect people first meet Christ, they are drawn to him in an irresistible way to bear his cross. There is what we might call a gospel compulsion that is at work. When God sets out to save a soul. Oh, obviously, we all not only can resist the Holy Ghost, we must resist the Holy Ghost by nature. And we do. But then the Bible says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Lord says, I have drawn thee. I have called thee. Let's get the reference absolutely correct here. Jeremiah 31 and verse number 3. Speaking of salvation, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The hymn writer said, He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. We were drawn by a love that we could not resist when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us, Paul said. Here's the compulsion of sovereign grace. As well as Simon's compulsion though, we should not miss the reference here in the text to his children. Now why does the Bible put this in here in verse 21? They compel one Simon, a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. To bear his cross. Why are these men mentioned? Well, if we 
Turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, first of all. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 33. We see in the midst of this event that was taking place with the Apostle Paul and others, that it says, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. So here's a man who, along with the Apostle Paul, is a believer. Alexander. Now turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. And look with me at verse 13. Among all the different salutations that Paul is giving, he says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Alexander and Rufus, both of them, as we can see here from the scripture, are believers. Alexander making his defense. Rufus, referred to as one chosen in the Lord. He's one of God's elect. And it seems also here that his mother was a believer. For Paul is sending salutations to her as well. So Simon of Cyrene had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And it's my belief that his encounter with Christ that day on the way to Golgotha not only changed the course of his own life, but that of his family. You know, what you do can greatly and will greatly impact your offspring. There are children today being brought up in godless homes. The Bible's never read. Prayer is never offered. They don't even say grace at their meals. The children are godless because the parents are godless. They don't even get sent to Sunday school anymore or children's meetings. They're not brought to church They're brought up as heathen. Many youngsters on a Sunday morning and afternoon are involved in sporting activities. Soccer and various other activities. Godless. The way the parents live impacts the way the children will grow up and the way that they will live. Let me personalize this. I often think of this, about a different kind of a home I would have had if my parents had not had the whole direction of their lives changed some three years before I was born. When God saved my dad and then six weeks later saved my mom, God was merciful to me and to my sisters. Because we were born into, I was at least, into a Christian home. My older sisters, who had not been born into a Christian home, now had Christian parents while they were still toddlers. Oh, how the direction of our lives changed as a result of that meeting with Christ. And our children are going to have to learn to bear the cross if they see us bearing that cross. There is the great pathway to the cross that 
Simon was part of and it's referred to in this text obviously Simon met that day the glorious person on the cross at this point he was not yet on the cross he was being led out to be crucified but it does say in the text that they compel Simon to bear his cross it was Christ's cross at least the cross beam Simon had to bear the cross of Jesus and whenever we talk about separation when we talk about living separate from the world or from the apostasy of the day the whole entire focus of that should be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ if you go back to that text in Hebrews it is let us go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach bearing his cross we're going forth unto him and we have to hold the very highest views of Christ I don't know what Simon of Cyrene knew prior to that day of the Lord Jesus Christ but that day he encountered the Savior in person coming out of that judgment hall to be led up the Via Dolorosa to the cross the person of Christ how important it is that we hold as J.A. Alexander used to say to his seminary students at Princeton the very highest views of Christ you've got to be very careful of men who hold novel views concerning the Lord Jesus I worry greatly about men who say things about Christ that are not found in scripture who conjecture and use guesswork about the Saviour with no scriptural basis and of course as we think about the person of our worship it's much more important than the place where we worship the problem with much false religion is that men desire something tangible or something sensual that which appeals to the senses rather than to the spirit this is the genius if you like if you want to call it that of Romanism they have their holy places their grottos and their shrines and all these places but yet they greatly dishonor though they don't appreciate that the person of Christ how do they dishonor Christ? by exalting Mary by venerating the saints by their attitude toward the Pope which is pretty much worship by the way that they exalt the priesthood all of these are given a higher place than Christ himself the person of Christ is so important and whenever we bear the cross we are following Jesus turn with me to Luke's rendering Luke chapter 23 and verse 26 here it says and as they led him away that's Jesus they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country 
And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. So there's the Lord Jesus in front, making his weary way to Golgotha's hill. In front of Christ there is a Roman soldier with a placard, on which there would always be the charges against the malefactor or the criminal. In his case it was This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And behind the Lord Jesus, immediately behind him, is Simon bearing the cross of Jesus. The way our Lord Jesus Christ went was not the pathway of ease and compromise. You can read it here in Mark 15, from verse 21. It goes on from there to say, and they bring him, verse 22, unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And then there follows the crucifixion. But note what it says in verse 23, that they give the Lord this wine, this sour vinegar mingled with myrrh. But he received it not. Why? Because myrrh was like a sedative. It was a palliative that the Romans in their cruelty would add to a drink like that to show some kind of mercy to the criminal who was being crucified. It would help to deaden his senses and lessen his pain. But the Lord Jesus refused that. Because he would bear the entire weight of the sufferings that day. So there was no acceptance of the the cup of compromise. The devil would have wanted Christ to take the easier way. There's no need to be extreme in bearing the cross. And the devil says the same thing to the people of God today. He'll always present to you an easier way. It doesn't have to be this painful. You don't have to go to these extremes. You don't have to be so fanatical about this religion. You don't have to be so committed to it. But look at Christ. As the hymn writer put it, it is the way the Master went. Should not the servant tread it still? The Lord Jesus did not take the easy way. But he endured the full, unmitigated sufferings of the cross. He bore the cross. And all that we read in the Gospels serves to emphasize this point concerning the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. John puts it this way in John 19, verse 17. And he bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull. The Lord Jesus bearing his cross, Simon bore the cross after him. This is the calling of the people of God. Yes, there is a great pathway to the cross. There's the glorious person on the cross. But we have to also count this. Bearing the cross of Christ to be a gracious privilege. Think of the gracious privilege that Simon 
was given that day. Oh, he was compelled to do it. He didn't go to Jerusalem with that intention. But that's how the Lord ordered it in Providence. That he ended up with this great and mighty privilege of bearing the cross of Christ. Bearing his reproach. Actually, bearing his cross. What a privilege. What a gracious privilege to bear reproach for the Savior and to bear reproach with the Savior. And let me tell you today, there is no easy way to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, though there are some who will present it as if it were easy. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's very clear, isn't it? It is impossible to be Christ's disciple without bearing the cross. The covenanters of Scotland used to say, no cross, no crown. The cross, you see, the very name suggests Suffering, doesn't it? Suffering. Look at what the Bible says about this. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly, it means all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer Persecution. Again, the Apostle Peter speaks of the same thing. First Peter chapter 2, from verse number 19. This is what he writes. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, You shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And once again, in chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, from verse 12, He writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And then verse 19, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Suffering for Christ, suffering with Christ. Tell me today, is your religion, is your profession of Christ 
costing you anything? Is it setting you at odds with other people who would want you to accompany them in sinful practices? Oh, we know what that's like to be under pressure, peer pressure from worldlings. They want you to get involved in the same excess of riot that they're involved with. And it will cost you to say no. It will cost you to separate yourself from their activities. But this is a gracious privilege. To suffer for his sake. Do you know anything of that? The cross not only suggests suffering but shame. There's reproach with the cross. Look again at Mark 15 and what it records there in verse 24. And when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. They stripped the Lord naked of all of his clothes as he hung impaled upon that cross. Religious art is really forbidden in the scripture in any case. But any time you see the Lord represented in pictures on a cross, in pictures that are venerated by Romanists, etc., he always has a loincloth strategically placed on his body. That's not scriptural. For the Lord hung stark naked upon the tree. Oh, the shame. And there is, of course, a contrast. There is a comparison with the first Adam here. My Bible tells me that Adam in the Garden of Eden was naked and had to be clothed by God. The shame and reproach of his sin was covered by the skins of animals whose blood was shed. Wonderful type of the atonement and of justification. God clothing the sinner. But the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was disrobed. He was made naked. He suffered shame that we might be redeemed. Christ was unclothed so that guilty sinners like Adam and like us would be clothed in the robe of His perfect righteousness. We have the gracious privilege today of bearing shame with Him. Despite what many might say, following Christ is not the popular way. It's not popular to go against the flow, against the stream, against the tide of human opinion. You think of the things that people are accepting today and promoting. And Christians stand against those things and it's not popular to do so. But it's the right thing to do. It's the way of blessing because we have the Lord with us. We have His presence with us. As we bear the cross. After all as Hebrews tells us. We go forth unto him. Without the camp. He's with us. Both here. As we're on this earth. And hereafter. But while here the cross I'm bearing. Bearing storms and billows. Wild. Jesus for my soul is caring, not can harm. 
his father's child. He will hide me. He will hide me. Where no harm can e'er betide me. He will hide me, safely hide me. In the shadow of God's hand. We have the Lord's presence with us here and hereafter. Why do we bear reproach? How do we bear reproach? We do it because here we have no continuing city. But we seek one to come. This is not all that there is. We're not here to stay. But there's heaven that yet awaits. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face. All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race. Till you see Christ. Let us not shrink from bearing the cross. Among the heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11. It speaks of those. From verse number 24. Like Moses. Who when he was come to years. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made his choice. He knew what side he was on. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, he saw the end game. He saw the final. He saw the final result. And so he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Must I be carried to the cross on flowery beds of ease? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? In the name, the precious name of him who died for me, through grace I'll win the promised crown. Whatever my cross may be. I want to just finish with this. You'll notice that Simon's encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ looked like a chance encounter. Didn't it? It looked like a mere coincidence. Think about this. Just at the very moment they're bringing Jesus out to take him up that pathway to the cross... Just then, there was a man passing by. What are the odds, as people would say? Don't like using that term necessarily, but that's how the world speaks about it. What are the chances of that happening? They compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, to bear his cross. Jesus is just coming out of that hall of pilots. And Simon is just coming at that moment. Passing by. And they meet. Matthew brings this out. Matthew 27. And verse 32. And as they came out. That's Jesus and the soldiers. As they came out. They found a man of Cyrene. Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. He was passing by. When they came out. Looks like a chance encounter doesn't it? Looks like a coincidence, doesn't it? 
Just at that moment he would be arriving there at that point. No, my friends, there's no such thing as chance encounters. There's no such thing as happenstances. There's no such thing as coincidence. No! Here's something that God had ordered from eternity in His sovereign purpose. And providence brought it to pass. See, the Lord overrules all things. It's a bit like when people are converted today. I always love to hear testimonies. There are some who don't like testimonies. Well, I do like testimonies. Especially when they're real. I remember a, a poor soul who was very nervous about giving his testimony. He was in a congregation one night and went up into the pulpit. He was trembling, shaking like mad. His lips were going, his teeth were chattering. And he reached into his pocket to find that piece of paper on which he had written out that testimony. He couldn't find it. He says, oh dear, I've lost my testimony. Well, he didn't lose his testimony, he just lost what he had written down. But whenever people give their testimonies, oftentimes it's thrilling to hear of the circumstances. There are people who have been in certain situations. They've been in certain church buildings. They've been in certain gospel meetings. Whatever it may be. And it was no accident. Maybe they intended to come on a Thursday night and something came up so they didn't make it until the Friday night. And that was the night when they were to hear what they heard. God had a purpose in it. Because you see, the Lord is in control A friend of ours who was in deep distress of soul made his way to a large river beside a wooded area where he was going to take his own life. And had determined he was going to throw himself into the river and end it all. And on his way through those woods before he got to the edge of that river, he saw a crumpled up piece of paper laying on the ground. He lifted it. It was a gospel tract. A little gospel message on a piece of paper. Instead of going to that river and throwing himself in, he sat there on those leaves by a tree and read that tract. And there, on that spot, he came to Christ was that an accident? Was that a happenstance when that person who had that tract threw it away? Of course it wasn't. It's the Lord who brings people to the cross. It's the Lord who brings people to Golgotha. It's the Lord who changes the direction of people's lives. And maybe today there's someone and you're on this site Facebook Live, you're watching this or you're going to listen to it on Sermon Audio. And you're not even sure why you're watching, you're not even sure why you're listening. But God has ordered it so that like Simon of Cyrene, you will consider Christ and His cross today. And it's not by accident. And God is ready to make a change in your heart and in your life. And today the Lord wants you to take up the cross. Matthew 10, 
and verse 38 says this. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You must take up the cross. There must be a change of direction. I know that today, if you know not the Lord, you will take up the cross and follow him. That you will go forth unto Christ without the camp, bearing his reproach. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. Hallelujah. He will save you now.